Thank you. How are we doing? A little bit of a set change. You can come through. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. There they go. All right. So we are excited uh, today to hear from uh, one of our students, uh, Taj. 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 So Taj is a. Where uh, you're going to introduce all that. I'm really excited to hear from Tosh. He's been um, just pouring into the scripture. Uh, I think we're really in store for a blessing today. So I'd like to pray for him, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll hear from, from Tosh. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this young man. Thank you for the way that you've been growing him these last few years, uh, for the way that you've been maturing him, uh, the way that you've been preparing his heart, uh, preparing his mind uh, for this type of task. Uh, thank you for the way, Lord, that he has, he has sought to honor you and your word and to bless and challenge your people. And so, Lord, we just pray for him uh, to, to be able to uh, uh, to find uh, his voice today, to be able to speak with your power and your presence today. So ease any kind of nerves he might be having, uh, Lord, and let him find joy uh, today in this. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Tim. Hello, everyone. My name is Taj Ramali, as Tim said. I'm a member of the youth group at The Well. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited to do this. Thank you to the church and the leadership at The Well for allowing us to do this. And I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as we do. I, um, today I'm going to be reading and teaching from Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. And um, yeah, we'll get started, but first I'm going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing us together today as a community. In this year of craziness and change, we are still able to meet, and the good news of your gospel is still able to be spread. I thank you for that. I pray today that as I speak, you are with me, God, and it is your message that comes through to the people of the well. I ask that you guide me as I speak, God, and you give me wisdom to speak, and I pray that in the end you are glorified. Amen. So, this year has been filled with change. I think a funny uh, proponent of that is the fact that I'm giving a sermon in my socks. I never thought I'd do that. <laughs> and this world is changing, but I think it's safe to say that this world has always been a broken place. In Matthew 24, Jesus describes signs of the end times, listing earthquakes, wars, false prophets, and the persecution of Christians, even plagues, as some of those signs. These are big problems that we face as humans, and this year more than ever, they've seemed to ripple into our daily lives, and they really affect us. This year we have faced so many challenges, and those challenges lead to stress, anxiety, and pain. And the easy response to, to these disappointments we face every day is to complain and grumble. I think we are gifted at complaining, actually. And it's safe to say that we live in a culture of complaining, a culture that's existence is justified by the fact that our world is a broken place. And although that culture seems to be exclusive to this year, complaining has dominated human history, and we see many examples of it in the Bible. One example that sticks out to me the most can be found in the Israelites as they are fleeing from Egypt. Um, Numbers chapter 11 is literally titled, The Israelites Complain. And that fits because they're complaining about their food. They're tired of the uh, manna they're getting from God, and they wish to enjoy the foods of their given to them by their Egyptian masters, which was fish and vegetables. 
they long for these foods. And I think if you are like if you're like me, you find their complaining to be ironic and humorous, but too often we are just like them. So as we dive into the word today, it's important to know what I mean by complaining in this context. When I say complain, I'm not referring to um, standing up for the innocent, the innocent. And I'm not talking about fighting for the Lord's way and things. We should do those things, absolutely. But to understand where I'm coming from when I mention complaining, we can take a look at 1 Peter 8 through 10, which says, starting in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the Lord of God's varied grace. Complaining in this context, in the context we're going to go through today, has more to do with our attitude towards th- our attitude towards things, as well as our dissatisfaction with those things. In our text today, Paul will establish why we as believers of the, uh, why we why we as believers in God should not be found like the rest of the world in dismay and dissatisfaction. And he will also tell us the attitude that we should have instead, using Jesus' life, his death on the cross, and the salvation that follows, as well as the glory Jesus receives for that sacrifice, as a reason to have an attitude unique from our worldly contemporaries. Let's read the passage. Starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I will be glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So, right away we notice this therefore in verse 12. And I'm not sure, I'm assuming most of you know Mindy Eldridge. But if you don't, when she teaches at youth group, she does this really cool thing. She always seems to get a passage with a therefore. And she came up with this really catchy phrase I like, where when you come across a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? And so right away... Paul is alluding to the context for this passage, and I think it's necessary to look over it to understand what he is saying and why he is saying it. So let's go to verse 5 of chapter 2, where it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was God. He still is, but he used to be too. (laughs) And he humbled himself in obedience to God. And as a man, he became a servant. Jesus did not use his godliness to attain earthly riches. And we see this even in his birth. He was not born in some Egyptian palace or some nice hotel in, in Israel. He was born in a stable. Humble beginnings for a humble life. And he became obedient and humbled himself and humbled himself for God to the point of sacrifice for us, dying on the cross. His sacrifice allows us to have eternal life with him. And because of that, he is exalted and will forever be glorified, as said by Paul in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, so because of everything he did and the sacrifices he made, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's good stuff. So what Paul is saying with all of this is that with humility and obedience to God, Jesus fulfilled God's purpose, leading to God's glory and Jesus' reward. So with that in mind, he says, therefore, saying that because of this, because of the humble obedience Jesus had and the um, sacrifice he made in that humble obedience with the exaltation that followed, he says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in your absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we see this word obey, which appeared in the, in the context. And if we connect it, it's clear Paul is, is drawing parallels between Jesus' life and ours, calling us to obey just as Jesus did. Saying, therefore, at my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now what does obeying look like? Here Paul says that's working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And right away, when I was reading this and I first started studying it, I got like the Bible red flag. You know, the notifications are popping, alerts are flashing, like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Paul is calling us to obey God by working out our own salvation. Salvation and work, our own, it's just it's not in the job description. It's not what we're supposed to do. And this verse can easily be misconstrued as a call to attain our salvation ourselves. But if we read it under the assumption that working out means attain, then the verse would be oxymoron by the definition of salvation used throughout the Bible. Let's look at Acts 4.12, for example. And there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How about Isaiah 45.17? But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. How about Philippians verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, which is the verse we are studying today? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this is where the context comes into play. Because without Jesus' death on the cross, we would not get salvation because we do not deserve it. If salvation was ours to achieve, then heaven would be a very dry party. You could even say it wouldn't be a party because there'd be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the definition of a party is four people. Four people makes a party, so... It just, it just wouldn't work. <laughs> we simply would not be saved. And understanding this context is important to understanding our salvation. Because without you, oh, sorry. Because when a chef is preparing a meal, do we expect him to complete it without being given the necessary ingredients? How then should we expect ourselves to achieve salvation without Jesus' death on the cross? We can't. It's, ne- it's, it's a necessity. And, and in this verse, so... I'm guessing you may be asking yourself, as I was asking myself, um, if, in this, if in this verse the words work out are not to be read as attain, then what should we understand them as? And an easy way to see what Paul is trying to say is look at how we use work out in our lives today. For me, the, the word, the action that comes to mind is exercising, lifting weights and stuff, you know? And it, this actually connects pretty well to the passage um, because... When we work out our muscles, we are working out something we already have and possess. And when we, const- when we consistently work out and we push our muscles, we see muscle growth. And our, our capabilities increase. We can lift more. We can take on more weight. And thus leading to us working out even harder. 
And the same applies to our faith. But this is an easy thing. Faith is a long journey that we take our whole lives. Um, and we must continue to work out and understand our salvation as we do it. We must continue to push ourselves in our faith, not letting knowledge of salvation keep us from continuing to pursue Jesus. Let's look at verse 312 in, in Philippians, saying, not, only, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This, this word press on, it's not, Paul isn't saying as I, as I walk towards my faith. He's not saying as I cruise towards my faith at a leisurely place, pace. He's saying as I press on. There's, there's, there's a really, I, I really feel the enunciation in this. He's putting effort, willpower, and strength into this. And Paul mentioned that his pressing on is happening only because that, of Christ making him his own. And this ties well to the context we established in, in the early verses of chapter 2. So, as we work out our own salvation, God is working and willing in us and, and willing in us for his good pleasure. Like we see in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I can continue to use this beautiful workout analogy for this because it's like God is our personal trainer. You know, he's motivating us. He's pushing us. And this shows, sorry, as I turn the page, that as we are working in our salvation and as we are growing in our faith, we are not alone. God is with us and he is strengthening us, willing and working in us as we press on towards understanding our salvation and grow in our faith. Now, as I transition to verses 14 and 16, I want to make sure that it is understood that our salvation is not attainable by ourselves alone, for we can only work out what God has first worked in. Now, going into verses 14 through 16, if we go back to the context and understand the fact that Jesus died for our sins with the knowledge that God is, and, and use verse 13, knowing that God is with us, helping us press on towards him, Paul leads us to how we should respond to the knowledge of these things by first telling us how not to respond to it or anything for that matter. Let's read verses 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let me find where I'm at real quick. Paul has separated two groups of people in these verses. In his call for us not to complain, grumble, or dispute amongst each other. Sorry. In his call for us not to, yes, in his call for us to be blameless. He's calling us to be blameless and innocent. The, the opposite of that. He leads us to respond to our salvation and our understanding of it a different way from how the rest of the world responds to, to the world. And this, he does this in the most beautiful way. In this, in this translation, it says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And in the NIV, it says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Just beautiful language there from Paul. And in order to truly live a life without complaining or grumbling because of the knowledge regarding what Jesus did on the cross for us, um, we must look back at verse 12, where it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this fear and trembling is so important to really understanding it and is important to our response. If we approach our salvation with pridefulness, 
and if we approach it with no respect or regard for what God has done for us, we will not get filled with the joy that comes with knowing that our sins are forgiven and we can ha- and that we can have eternal life with God. Therefore, we cannot be of, mind with Christ, of, um, of the mind of Christ, as Paul mentions in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2, which says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, any, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The connections and the parallelism between Christ's life and what he does for us apply to our life and what we should do for others. Paul is calling us to be like those innocent and blameless lights of the world amidst the evilness and crookedness of the complainers surrounding them because we are already on display for the rest of the world. We must be a good example to those around us as Paul says, leading them, being their guides, being their lights in the night, in the, in the darkness, guiding them towards Jesus with our joy and not our complaining. Rather than follow them, um, rather than follow them, follow the rest of the world and their pursuits to mend a broken world on their own. And this is something they just cannot do. And when the, we realize that we can't do this and that the disappointment sets in, that we can't mend the world on our own, we need Jesus, this leads to more complaining and grumbling as people continue to try and mend the world themselves. We need to be lights and guides to those around us rather than follow them on their tour into the depths of dissatisfaction. Now, as Paul continues, he explains the benefits of that response, the response of not complaining and the response of not bickering amongst each other and the response of not grumbling and our attitude towards the things of this world. By complaining, we are, by not complaining, sorry, (laughs) we are serving our purpose as praisers and glorifiers of the Lord, just as Jesus served his purpose in obedience to God and received his reward. When we serve our purpose in obedience to God, we too receive reward, as made by the fact that we will shine like stars in the sky or lights in the world, connecting back to verses 1 and 2 once again, being of the same mind of Christ, having that joy. That's what we want. We want that joy, and we get that joy by not complaining. By serving our purpose of glorifying God for all he has done for us, instead of complaining about the problems with with our life on earth, we are literally acting we are literally acting towards his design for us. And by doing the opposite, we are acting against his design for us. Imagine it like this. Us complaining would be like Shaq shooting three-pointers. It's just, it's not what he was meant to do. If Shaq only shot three-pointers, that would be offensive to the incredible gifts of size and strength he was given to dominate in the post. Just like us complaining would be offensive to the wonderful gifts we have been given by God. Thus, And that should lead to our rejoice rather than our complaining. As Paul continues in verse 17 and 18, he will figuratively push our exchange of complaining for rejoicing to an extreme by referring to himself, saying in verse 16, or saying in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Just oh, such, good, such good stuff, man. Sorry. <laughs> so this is a, a, a pushing. This is a, a pushing to the extreme. 
of this action of, of not complaining but rejoicing. And Paul begins by referring to himself, saying that if he is to be poured out, if he is to be sacrificed for our faith, he'll rejoice. And this metaphor works perfectly for Paul's life because this is exactly what he was doing. He was in prison during this letter, and this wouldn't be the last time he was in prison. He would eventually get out and then go back into prison where he would later be executed. But Paul literally was putting his life on the line for our faith. And so that makes these words, like that really makes them hold up well. Because then he calls us to the same thing. Likewise, you also should be God and rejoice with me. And and this this um, that that verse really alludes to the fact that we should not complain, regardless of circumstance. And another thing that that part of, another part of this that really connects well to today is the fact that Paul was not using his separation from the world as an excuse. Right now, we are very separated, and that can lead to, I mean, it is kind of, anno- it can be annoying. It's like, man, I wish I was with the rest of the church body. But we are blessed because we are still able to connect with one another. Like I said, I'm doing my sermon in my socks, and yet you are still getting it. People are getting it from all around the world. That is, that is a blessing. Separation does not hold back the good news of the gospel. Amen. So, as we look at the application for this in our lives. The application for this passage is easier said than done, but luckily, I'm the one saying it, so it's not on me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. No, don't come up and stop me, please. <laughs> I think the calling of this passage is clear. Rejoice in the understanding of your salvation. We can come to know that, when we come to know that Jesus, despite his position as God, humbled himself and in obedience to God, sacrificed himself on the cross so that we may have eternal life with him. In our response to that understanding, we can obey God, fulfill our purpose of glorifying and praising him for a sacrifice that grants us our salvation. We, we can. We can glorify him. It's, it, it makes sense. We have eternal life with him. There is more life past this broken world. Our response should be to rejoice, and then the rest of the, be, and, and in that we can be a guide to the rest of the world. I think that the friends we have that are, you know, kind of spin things positively and, and enjoy life and even the hard things more, our friends we're more likely to hang out with. So be that, be that friend. Be that person that rejoices as, as we lead our lives after this. And, and make sure that you understand that this rejoicing and praising applies to all circumstances in our lives, even the hard ones. Today, we are experiencing so many hardships. Our lives are filled with grief. Our lives are filled with negativity. But when we come to know Jesus Christ and what he did for us and the fact that we have eternal life with him, I think it makes our lives a lot easier and hope in him will lead to rejoice. Now, as I close, I will ask this. What would rejoicing all things with the knowledge of our salvation, which has been gracefully given to us through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, look like in our lives? What would rejoicing look like today after we finish this service? What would it look like when we have to wear a mask as we enter a store? What would it look like as, we have, as our alarms go off tomorrow morning and we have to head to a virtual meeting, a virtual working session, a virtual school? What would it look like if we were of the mind of, of Jesus as he fills us with joy and love, filling up those around us with those things, giving them the same understanding of hope that one day Jesus Christ will come back and because of what he did on the cross, our sins are washed away, and faith in him will allow us to have eternal life with him. What would it look like if in our knowledge of that, we spread that 
joy that we should have because of it? What would it look like? I think we should all ask ourselves that question and try to apply this this, um, endless joy to our lives as we face hardships. The last thing I will leave, leave us with is Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, which I think brilliantly sums up what I'm saying, what Paul is saying, what Paul is saying, really. <laughs> let love, beginning in verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who uh, persecute you. And bless... Uh, yeah, bless sorry. Bless those who persecute you, prosecute, persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, be over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let us rejoice in our hardships and rejoice with our enemies. I'm going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us together again. Thank you for being with me as I deliver this message. I pray that the people of the well and myself hold it to be true and apply it to our lives. I pray that we are quick to rejoice and understand what you have done for us and rejoice in that amidst the hardships we face in the world. Thank you so much for everything you have done for us, and thank you so much for bringing us all together today. Amen.